got one more hand clap for the Lord tonight. Come on, Sunday night hand clap. Amen. Praise God. It's good to see you back. Get your Bibles open tonight. How many came to get some more food? Get ready for this week. I'm going to read you something. I can't promise I won't read again. This is too cute. The children's Bible in a nutshell. Okay? You know I love to talk about children and how they think. This is, this is funny. In the beginning, this is the kids gathering of the whole Bible, okay? Into, into their words. In the beginning, which occurred near the start, there was nothing but God. Darkness and some gas. And the Bible said, the, the Lord thy God is one. But I think he must have been a lot older than that. Anyway, God said, give me a light, and someone did. Then God made the world. He split the Adam and made Eve. Adam and Eve were naked, but they weren't embarrassed because mirrors hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating one bad apple. So they were driven from the Garden of Eden. I'm not sure what they were driven in, though, because they didn't have cars yet. Adam and Eve had a son, Cain, who hated his brother as long as he was able. Pretty soon, all of the early people died off, except for Methuselah, who was like a million or something. One of the next important people was Noah. He was a good guy, but one of his kids was kind of a ham. Noah built a large boat, put his family and some animals on it, and he asked other people to join him, but they said they would have to take a rain check. After Noah became Abraham, or sorry, came Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was more famous than his brother Esau because Esau sold Jacob his birthmark in exchange for some pot roast. Jacob had a son named Joseph who wore a really loud sports coat. Another important Bible guy is Moses, whose name was Charlton Heston. <laughs> Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and away from the evil Pharaoh after God sent ten plagues on Pharaoh's people. These plagues included, included frogs, mice, lice, bulls, and no cable. <laughs> God fed the Israelites every day with manicotti. Then he gave him his top ten commandments, and these include don't lie, cheat, smoke, dance, or covet your neighbor's stuff. Oh yeah, I thought of one more. Humor thy father and thy mother. One of Moses' best helpers was Joshua, who was the first Bible guy to use spies. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the fence fell over on the town. After Joshua came David, he got to be king by killing a giant with a slingshot. He had a son named Solomon who had about 300 wives and 500 porcupines. <laughs> My teacher said he was wise, but he doesn't sound very wise to me. <laughs> After Solomon, there was a bunch of major league prophets. One of these was Jonah, who was swallowed by a big well and then barfed up on the shore. There were also some minor league prophets, but I don't guess we really have to worry about them. After the Old Testament came the New Testament. Jesus is the star of the New Testament. He was born in Bethlehem in a barn. Sorry, in a barn. I wish I had been born in a barn too because my mom is always saying to me, close the door. Were you born in a barn? It'd be nice to say, as a matter of fact, I was. 
During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners like the Pharisees and the Democrats. <laughs> Jesus also had 12 possums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. <laughs> Judas was so evil that they named a terrible vegetable after him. <laughs> Judas was a great, Jesus was a great man. He healed many leopards and even preached to some Germans on the mount. But the Democrats and all those guys put Jesus on trial before Pontius, who was a Pilate. Pilate didn't stick up for Jesus. He just washed his hands instead. Anyways, Jesus died for our sins and then came back to life again. He went up to heaven, but he will be back at the end of the aluminum. And his Jesus, his return is foretold in the book of Revolution. Amen. So that's the gospel and the book and the Bible according to children. Amen. Isn't that good stuff? All right. Open your Bibles to book of Hebrews, please. I'm going to do a quick teaching tonight. I talked about holiness this morning, and I want to bring an angle at you to, to think about. We talked about walking in the presence of God, and, and we all want the presence of God in our lives, and we want God to be close to us, and we want God to always be around us, and we know that he is, and when we worship him, the Bible says that he's near those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And there's an attitude that we get when we're saved. And this is part of when God begins to teach us his, his, his word is how to live, how to be a Christian. And, you know, today the word Christian is very watered down. You know, the word Christian is to be Christ-like. And lots of people today call themselves Christians. But it's one thing to say I'm a Christian. It's another thing to be a Christian. And that takes work. Amen. We, we know tonight as we've gone over these different things, we know that we can't work to be saved. But walking as a Christian takes work. It takes work to be separate. We talked this morning about holiness being set apart and separated from the world and to stay separate from the world. You know, when I said this morning that you have to cut yourself off from some relationships, that's work. Right? That, that takes work. That takes, really takes an attitude of saying, man, this, is, this isn't going to be easy. How many know anything that's worthwhile is work? Right? It takes work. So if you want to have that holiness and have that good life and you've got to cut some things off, it's not easy to sometimes cut yourself off from your friends or people that you know that you, you don't, shouldn't hang around with because they're not doing the things that you want to do or they're doing things you don't want to do anymore. So that's just an attitude of, of, of understanding that, that walking in holiness is, and, and godliness takes a decision every day, every single day. And we got to the point this morning, I'm going to kind of finish up from this morning because I didn't get a chance to finish it, where we, we, we see God's holiness. We talked in Isaiah, for those that weren't here, of how Isaiah walked into heaven and, and he walked into the presence of God and he was in awe. But the first thing he did was fall to his, to his knees and, and, and said, woe is me. And he thought, how can I stand in the presence of God? And that needs to be an attitude that we have, amen? An attitude of humility. To understand that we don't deserve to be saved. Amen? We don't deserve it. Thank God he's given us salvation, amen? And because of what we're going to read here in Hebrews chapter 10, we can stand in the presence of God and not die like we saw in Exodus 33 this morning. Hebrews 10, if you'll look there, I'll read a few verses here, 
shows God's provision. We know that way back in the beginning, elementary teaching tells us that we were, we were uh, bound to hell, bound to eternity without God. We were separated from God because of sin. And God had to have to provide a savior. God had to provide a way to get over the abyss of separation between God and man. And we know in the Old Testament they killed the calf and the blood was shed. And the Bible said in the Old Testament without the shedding of blood there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. But God began to see that, that, that man was failing in his part of offering the sacrifices. And he said I've got to go down myself. And I've got to take care of this once and for all. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. So God gave provision for our salvation. In Jesus Christ. And when Hebrews says here, I want to read a few, uh, few verses. Um, let's start in verse 5. He says, therefore when he came into the world, this is Hebrews 10, 5. Therefore when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. How many remember in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus said in that fight of his flesh? If Jesus had to fight the flesh, how much do you think we need to fight the flesh? He was perfect. And even in himself, we know he never sinned. And we know there was no sin in him because of the fact that he was born of a virgin. Okay? He did not come into life and the world like we did, cursed by the blood. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. That's why the Holy Spirit had to plant him in the womb of Mary without being made like we were made. Okay? And because he did that and because he came into life that way, he became the sacrifice. But even, in, even though he was perfect, he still had to battle the flesh. And his flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane said, God, can we do this a different way? Fear came upon him. And he didn't want to go to the cross. He, he began to, as time got closer and closer, remember he used to say to his disciples all the time, uh, I'm going to die. I'm going to sacrifice myself. And he kept telling what was going to happen. But how many know that it's easy to say it? It's another thing to do it. And the time began to get closer to when he actually had to do it. And he knew that that night in that garden, being God, he knew they were going to come and get him. And that night was going to start the pain. Amen? And that from that night forward until he died on the cross and said it was finished, he did nothing but suffer. The whole time. And so at a moment of fear and carnality in the flesh, not, not sinful carnality, but fear... He said, God, as he began to see the future, can we do this a different way? Can, can we change up the plan? I'm not sure I want to do this now. And then all of a sudden, I think that's such a great picture of flesh and spirit. The battle between doing right and doing wrong. Doing the will of God and doing the will of me. Amen? And Jesus at that moment, all of a sudden the spirit kicks in. And he was doing a good thing. He was praying. Amen? When you're weak, pray. I like the old saying, seven days without prayer makes one weak. Amen? And he was in prayer. He was doing the right thing. And because he was in prayer, and because he was seeking the Lord, and because he was in the presence of God, 
the spirit overcame him and he was able to defeat the flesh that wanted to quit and give up. And I don't know if you realize it or not, church, if he wouldn't have won that battle, we wouldn't be saved tonight. He had, he, yeah, he was God. He had to defeat the flesh. And he had to, he had to, like we're talking about tonight, he had to, to be godly and holy. He had to uh, understand that, that call that his holy father had for him, that standard that was so high like we talked about this morning. And he said, I'm going to reach for that standard. I'm not going to, I'm not, as that song said just now, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And he, all of a sudden something comes upon him and he says, no, I am going, not my will be done, God, but your will be done. How many know that as we walk through our daily walk with the Lord and sin temptations come along in our life that would cause us to walk in an unrighteous way, we've got to win that battle. We've got to win that battle and say, no, not my flesh, not my will, not what I want to do, but God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to please you. I want to make you happy. And a a person that walks in godliness and holiness is a person who's making those decisions every day to do right. Because every day you're going to be tempted to do wrong. And doing wrong does not take any work. Doing wrong is easy. Can you say amen? There was even a movie made that says I can do bad all by myself. We don't need anybody's help to do bad. But we need help to do good. Amen? And so he's in this place, and I'm just trying to get you to understand that, that where he was at when he said, Your will, O God, be done. Now look at verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor you had pleasure in them. Why? Because they weren't being done right. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And he takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Okay, this is the covenant of God. Old and the New Testament, the old and the new covenant of God. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will. First takes away the second, verse 10. By that, we, this is the one I want you to see. By that, by what? By the new covenant, we will have been sanctified through what? The offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Amen? So that night Jesus came, or that day, that night he went in, he got taken in, and then he gave his body one time for all. Old Testament, the priest, my, my job back then would have been to go in for you. Take your prayers in for you and do sacrifices for your sins. Jesus came down to be that priest once and for all and to die for our sins so we could believe on him. But now that we're saved, now that we're believers, we have to walk worthy of his high calling. Amen? We've got to walk worthy of what he's called us to do. So I want you to, here's a verse to write down. Leviticus 11, 44 and 45 and we talked this morning about that verse that said, to be holy as God is holy. How many remember the verse this morning in Matthew 5 that said, be perfect? Jesus said, be perfect. That's a, that's a standard. It's something God is asking us to, to seek and try. We know, church, we're not going to be perfect. We know we can't be perfect in ourselves. But God is asking us to strive for something. Amen? If, if, the, if your school, you know, there's a passing grade in school. But it, they want you to get 100, right? 100's good. But there's a passing grade. And, you know, sometimes we're just happy just to pass. 
I don't believe God wants us to be people who just are happy to pass. God's not calling us to just get into heaven. He's not calling us to, to just slide into heaven and be safe. How many want to hit a home run with God? How many want to go marching into heaven? Amen. And want to go marching in and, 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 and knowing I, I did something awesome for God. I don't want to be worried about am I going to make it or not. I want to live a life that I'm pleasing my father. Pleasing my Lord. Leviticus 11 says, I'm the Lord. Verse 44 and 45. I'm the Lord your God. He says, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I'm holy. And he says, do not make yourselves unclean by any creatures that move about on the ground. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. And then he says again, therefore be holy because I'm holy. We just saw four times God said, be holy because I'm holy. Amen? He's basically saying, and, and we said this before, how many know God is not going to ask us to do something we can't do? He wouldn't ask us to be holy if we couldn't be holy. But holiness, we're first holy and sanctified in God, but then it's a daily decision to walk. Like I said, that little animal this morning, the ermine tries to keep himself clean. Keep that nice white, you can go Google it. We did it at lunch. We were messing around looking at this cute little animal, totally white keeping yourself clean. Amen. How many want to stay clean for God tonight? You want to be pure in his sight. Amen. So what he's doing tonight when he talks about holiness is he's calling us to be like Christ. He's calling us to Christ like living, which means we're to be set apart for the service of the Lord. Our time, our money, our, our energy, our attitudes, everything should be set aside for the Lord. That's why Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus, and all of the things that you need or want and desire will be added unto you. Amen? So God is calling us to a life of holiness. And as we saw this morning, Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. I'm undone. And so what he was doing when he said that is what? He was confessing he was a sinner. He was confessing that he was not worthy. He was confessing that he had failed. And as soon as he did that, what did that angel come over and do? Put the coal on his mouth and cleansed him. As soon as we confess our sins, what does 1 John say? He who confesses his sins, when we confess our sins, what does the Bible say? He's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. But we must confess them to the Lord. We must admit, I've made a mistake, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. On a daily basis, when we mess up, we need to say, I'm sorry, Father, I'm sorry about that. You ever had anybody do something to you over and over and over again and keep telling you, I'm sorry, but they keep on doing it? Do you believe them? <laughs> it gets kind of old after a while, amen? It's like, you've told me you were sorry. Why you keep hitting me in the stomach, amen? Why you keep slapping me in the face? We don't want to do that to God. We don't want to be people that say, oh, I'm sorry, and then the next day we do it again. There's an attitude that says, God, I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that again. We might do it again but we didn't do it on purpose. We were sorry at that moment. Confess that sin to the Lord and he will forgive you. There was a pastor that said, holiness is the everyday business of a Christian. And it evidences itself, listen, in the decisions we make and the things we do hour by hour and day by day. Amen, it's the little things that you've got to watch in your life. 
It's the little everyday decisions. So a person who begins to understand God's holiness is a person who has changed. I want you to think about that. We're singing that song tonight. I won't go back. I won't go back. To what? To the way I used to be. A person who has been changed by God does not want to do the things they used to do anymore. Now, I want you to get this. I want you, if you don't get anything else out of, the, out of today, I want you to get this. As human beings, many times our goal sometimes is to try to get away with everything we can get away with. It's trying to walk that line as close as we can. It's like when the parent says, don't cross that line, and the little kid gets as close to that line as they can get. That's not the attitude we should have as believers. If God says, be holy, then we shouldn't try to be as least holy as we can and still be all right. We should try to be holy. How many understand what I'm saying? So there's one of two attitudes that you have as a believer. One is, man, I really want to do my very best to have a great life and please my Lord. Or another one is, you know what, I'm saved and I'm good and I'm not really going to worry about it. That's not the attitude God's looking for. That's not the attitude we should have. We should have an attitude of God. I want to please you in everything I do. Look what Ephesians 5 says. If you'll go there real quick. Ephesians chapter 5. Say amen when you get there so I can read it. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, I want you to ask yourself something. You need to really test yourself sometimes. And if your life is not pursuing holiness, you got to ask yourself, are you really in love with God? Because a person who loves the Lord is going to want to please God. How many get that tonight? It's not about, I love God, but I'm going to try to see what I can get over on him. It's, I love God, and I want to please God. God is looking for some God pleasers. God is looking for some people who love him and want to do everything they can to make him happy. And you know what? Paul said that in the word. Are you there? Ephesians chapter 5, look what he says, be imitators of God, be imitators of God. Someone says, I don't know how, I don't know how God is. Well, Paul helps us, don't worry. He says, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now look at this, you there? But among you, now I want to ask you something before we read this. When Paul's talking in the Bible, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? The church. He's not talking to the world, right? He's not talking to sinners. We're reading Galatians, right, or Ephesians, which one are we in? We're reading Ephesians. What's Ephesians? The church of Ephesus, okay? So in our day, it would have been the Victory World Outreachers, Amen? VWO, he's speaking to us. So he's not speaking to the world. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to people who are believers. He's speaking to people who are saved. He's speaking to people who say, I want to live for the Lord. And look what he says. Let there not be even a hint. Look at the Bible. You reading it with me? Let there not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Why? Because those are improper for God's holy people. Did you see that? He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. And he didn't say, don't, don't let there be sexual immorality. He said, don't let there be a hint. 
Don't let there be even a little bit. And I'm going to get to that in the end, in the end of the message. I want to talk about something on that note, on that thought of a little bit. <clears throat> but he says, don't let there even be a hint of immorality. Section, some of you go, oh, I'm good. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not having any sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. I'm good on that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not impure. Or any kind of greed. Right? Those are all things. We, if, you could, if you don't struggle with one, you can struggle with another. Or... He says, because these are improper. Now go on reading with me. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this, sorry, for of this you can be sure. Now I want you to stop again. Who's he talking to here? The church. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such as a man, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Amen. He's talking to the church. If we're not, if we're not living a life that says, I'm not doing those things, I'm not saying that you might not one time laugh at a joke or you might make a bad saying. I'm not saying that we've never failed in these things. He's saying these are things that Christians should not do. And people who practice these things, the Bible says here, unless you can give me a different kind of understanding of what I'm reading, it says those kind of people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Let no, we'll finish there. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, wrath has come on those who are what? Disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Is he talking to the church or is he talking to the world? He's talking to the church. So that means there can be disobedient people in the church. That means there can be people in the church who are not walking in holiness. That means there can be people in the church who claim to be Christians and aren't walking in a life of holiness. Are you with me? But God has called us to be better than that. God has called us to be true followers. And in the church, there are people who are in love with God and want to do everything they can to please the Lord. And then unfortunately, you've got others who it's all about them and all they want is to be entertained and they want to feel right with God, but they don't really want to live for the Lord. And they don't want to live a daily sacrifice unto the Lord. Why would Paul say, I die daily? To what? To what? Unrighteousness? to flesh, to greed, to anger, to lust, to all these different things that we battle. What, what does he die to? He dies to his flesh so he will not walk in the flesh, but he will walk in the spirit. When you're walking in the spirit, what do you do? You do right. When you're walking in the flesh, what do you do? You do wrong. It's pretty simple, amen? Amen. So it should be obvious to us tonight that there's no better way to use our time on a daily basis than to give God glory. Amen? What kind of life could we have if we would just every day say, God, I'm waking up to give you glory? How many tonight want to really take personal holiness serious? Let's see, I got two, three, four. Okay, four people. The rest of you are sleeping. Personal holiness. We all battle sin. There's a sin nature that we have to deal with on a daily basis. 
And, and, you know, you can deal with your entertainment. You can deal with how you use your time, the way you spend your money, the way you talk, the way you do your job, the way you treat others, the way you worship, all these different things. But I want to I finish on this thought tonight, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Okay? When you fail is when you try to base your holiness off of other people. God never said, be holy as your neighbor in church is holy. He never said, be holy as the preacher's holy. He's never said, be holy as the praise team is holy. He never said, be holy as your mother or father or your husband or wife or your children are holy. He said, be holy as I am holy. So who should be our example? Jesus. People are going to fail you. We talked about that in men's discipleship yesterday. If you see something good, focus on it and take it and copy it. You see something bad, spit it out and don't be like that. As you look at a person's life, when you see someone doing something good and they're living for the Lord and they pray and they walk in holiness and you see the, Lord, the, the Spirit of God upon them, you imitate them as they imitate Christ. But if you see an attitude, if you see gossip, if you see anger, if you see unforgiveness, if you see all these attributes that are not godly, you don't, you don't copy that. And you also don't throw that person out because of that bad problem. Because we all have bad problems. Amen. So I want to give you one example tonight to close up. To kind of show you how we can, we have to be careful not to try to get away with sin. Okay? How many would be honest tonight and say that, that our, our nature is that way? To try to get away with whatever we can get away with. And all of us have been raised different. Some people have been raised with no church whatsoever. Some people have been raised in different kind of denominations, different kinds of religions. Some people have been raised believing in God but not knowing who he is. And there's all kinds of people in a church and all kinds of backgrounds but again, we're just trying to find out what the word of God says for us today. You know, there's a lot of good things you've probably been taught. And there's probably a lot of bad things you've been taught. But let's, let's not worry about the past. Let's worry about today. And, you know, people are raised in their homes in different ways. There's certain things that people say are bad. There's other things people say are not bad. And everybody has their own opinion on what's right and what's wrong. But the Bible is pretty clear on what's right and what's wrong. So yesterday I was reading uh, to the men at discipleship something that caught my attention and, I, and it clicked in my spirit and made me think of something and I want to give this example, okay? This is just an example. I'm not hitting this particular thing tonight for any reason, but it's an example of how many times as a believer we try to get away with what we can get away with. In the Christian world today, not in the world, in the Christian church around the world, drinking is something that is an issue. Not drinking water, drinking alcohol. Amen? And, and there's, you can go to any church and you're going to get different things. You can go to any denomination, you're going to get different things. And some people will say uh, it's okay to drink socially. Others will say it's not. Others will say uh, as long as you don't get drunk. And there's all kinds of different things. And I actually have a, a really good sermon on, uh, on that that's not for tonight. If you ever want me to preach it again or if you want the notes on it or whatever. But I just want to give you an example on that. In Titus chapter 2, we were reading yesterday and we were reading about the attributes that men and women should have. And it's for both men and women in there. 
And uh, just go there with me real quick and let me show you this. Titus chapter 2. This Titus is right near the end of the Bible. Right before Hebrews. Right after 1 and 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. Let me know you're there. We were talking yesterday about sound doctrine. That means healthy doctrine. That means understanding what we believe. And let me just read a few verses here, and I'll, I'll bring this into to an understanding in a second. He says, as, For as you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men would be sober and reverent and temperate and sound in faith and love and patience, the older woman likewise, that they would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Then he goes on to say that the young men would be sober-minded and that they would show themselves a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity and reverence and incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. And these verses are basically talking about how man should teach a man how to be a godly and how a woman should teach a woman how to be godly. But as you look there and you were reading, you might have noticed that the thing said, not given, to much wine okay so here's what happens now now look look at me just for a second because this is what happens you're either one of two people that there's no third or fourth as a believer you're either a person who is who is saying God I am setting myself apart for the work of the Lord or you're a person who's a Christian and says, God, I'm trying to, and you're not going to say this to God, I'm trying to find ways that I can get away with what I can get away with. And somebody might see that verse and go, yeah, see, not given too much wine. And immediately the spirit says, I can drink. Are you following me? One of two attitudes when you read that. Wake up, snap the, kick the elbow of the person next to you or something. Too many people sleeping here. You know, it's a good thing to sleep at night in your bed. Just, just throw that out. It's recommended. It's a good time to sleep. I know it's kind of warm, cold. Some people are cold in here. Some are hot. Y'all still here? Okay. I'm just trying to get you how we think. We read something, and, our, and depending on where our heart is, we're going to read that verse how we want to read it okay we said no it's pretty clear not given to much wine let me read you something a lot of times we get confused about our role in society of what God has called us to be listen to this today how many would admit that the roles of men and women in society have been totally twisted to what God called in his word totally twisted we're not, we're not living today and I, and I don't got to get into the details we're smarter than that to, to see how family Men and women, and all these things have been twisted from the Bible. But how many know that it doesn't matter how modern we get, the Word of God doesn't change? It does not change. And we can't change the Bible to fit our lifestyle. We're supposed to change our lifestyle to fit the Bible. And if you've gotten that, and I'm just using alcohol and drinking socially and all that as an example, there's many other things. 
But my whole thought is for you to understand that if you're the kind of person who's looking to get away with what you can get away with, that in itself is not pleasing to God. That in itself. Okay? Now I'm going to break it down in just a second. How many give me just a couple minutes to break this down? How many know God is the creator of all things? He made this word for us. Amen? So in the book of Titus... He's speaking about doctrine. He's speaking about all these things and how we should get along with each other and all these different things. And then it gets down to saying in the King James and the New King James, not, listen close to this, not given to much wine. The NIV would say not, sorry, would say not addicted to much wine. Okay? The key term here, the key understanding is when you begin to read the scriptures that this book was not written in English. Okay? The book was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, and when words get translated, you've got to go back to the translation to see what the Bible says about these things. Okay? Now, I said, this is, this a whole, I got a whole other message on drinking itself where I could really break it down, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to show you that in this book of Titus, the key word is the Greek word, and I'm going to kill this, but D-O-U-L-O-O, okay? Daolu or something like that. You got, got a better term? Daolu, does that sound good? D-O-U-L-O-O? That's how I say it. Readers would be interested to understand that in other places in the New Testament, when that word, Daolu, is used, like in Acts chapter 7, it is translated bondage. So if you bring that same, tra- that same word used in other scriptures, you could bring it into Titus and realize it says, not being in bondage to wine. Okay, And then 2 Peter 19 says, when, when it talks about corruption, it says not being bondservants of corruption. So, man, I've got to get my notes on my last page here. Devil, you're a liar. There it is. There's so many papers up here. Then in Romans 6, the Bible says servants of righteousness. I'm telling you all the things off of this word. The Greek word, servants of righteousness, servants of God. And how many know that it would be wrong for us to be slaves to booze? Okay, to be in bondage to wine or to be in bondage to anything that's addictive. But you've got people that say, I can drink socially. I can just drink a glass of wine or I can just have a beer. I'm not getting drunk. But see, what they're trying to do is they're trying to be as much like the world as they can and still be okay. Okay? They're trying to do that. But they don't really realize that it's just a little bit of poison. So it's not really a big deal. And I've said this a million times, church. I've never met an alcoholic and I've never met a drug addict ever in my life who woke up one morning and just totally got drunk the very first time they ever drank. They started with small little things. I've never met a drug addict and I have dealt with lots of them in 20 years and working in the inner city. I've I've asked them on purpose, how did you get, oh, I started with a cigarette and then I went to marijuana and then I tried crack and then, and went on and on. They didn't just wake up one morning and just go snort coke and become an addict. It's the little things, and this is just, again, this is just an example of alcohol. It can go to anything. It can go to any kind of area that you become in bondage to. Well, you guys are quiet tonight. You're just thinking. 
So someone might say, I want you to think about this. I know that being given to wine is wrong or it's okay if I just drink a little. And so it's okay to be a social drinker. It's okay to be a social drinker. So the expression not given, listen, not given to much wine does not justify drinking an amount of alcohol that is less than an addictive amount. That's not what it's trying to say. And here's what that means. This would be demonstrated in another example. If you were to say, I am, I am, I am addicted, it's not, sorry, it's wrong to be addicted to speeding. There might be some people in here tonight that you're addicted to speeding. You cannot go the speed limit. You cannot keep your foot off the pedal. You cannot stay below the speed. You cannot do it. And you are addicted to speeding. Okay? So, so it, would it be okay if I said it's okay if you just speed a little bit? Come on, I'm trying to give you the parallel expression. We do that. But see, in our minds, we think speeding's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as drinking. But see, what we don't understand is in God's eyes, sin is sin. Okay, well, I'm addicted to lying. You, there's people in here. There, you, how many know that when you're addicted to something, you don't admit it? What's the, what's the big push by AA and NA? I am an alcoholic. They cannot help them till they admit they're an alcoholic. How many liars do we have that don't admit that they're liars? How many greedy people do we have that won't admit they're greedy? How many people do we have in the, I'm just throwing out ideas, you know, things that could exist. How many people do we have that are haters? They hate people. They're addicted to hating people. The people that are addicted to gossiping, whatever. You can go down the line. I just threw drinking out as an example. But whatever it is, then the attitude we have is if we say it's okay to not be given to, uh, to drink too much wine, then we can say it's okay to lie a little. We can say it's okay to steal a little. We can say it's okay to gossip a little. I don't know if anybody's getting where I'm going. You begin to try to find where you can get away with something. Where, is it, where does it end? Where does that stop? But on the other hand, you say, you know what? I don't see anything good. I don't see any value in drinking. I'm not going to drink anything. I'm not going to drink anything. I don't see any value in lying. I'm not going to lie. I don't see the value in, in breaking the law and speeding. We've all sped. We've all got tickets. I'm trying to get you to understand of making a conscious effort to be right. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. And, and you know, of course, it, 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 one example is it's a little easier, maybe, so to speak, to say I'm not going to drink than it is to say I'm not going to lie. Because you could just say, you know, I'm not going to pick up a bottle. I'm not gonna. So that maybe even be a little easier than lying. That lie creep up on you fast. And a lot of times you say the white lie, as we say. Right? The white lie. Or you're lying on purpose because you know you're covering up another lie, right? Or you're lying to, you know, save face. Or you're lying because you don't want to hurt, so whatever. How many get what I'm saying? All day long in all kinds of areas, you can find a way to understand. How about it? How about it? Don't be addicted to drugs. But it's okay to take a little bit. You think that's Okay. So why do we do that with alcohol, for example? Why do, we, why do we do that with anything? A true believer who loves God is not looking to find what he can get away with. A 
true believer is trying to stay away from anything that would pull him away from the holiness of God. And you know what happens when you do that? Let me tell you what happens when you do that. God's presence rests on you. His peace rests on you. His love rests on you. Not, because, not that he loves you anymore. He loves you no matter what. But he, he's seeking those people who are seeking him. And he wants to pour his, his love and his favor out. You got, come on, be honest. Is it fair that God would pour his favor out? The same on somebody who's seeking him as somebody who doesn't care? That wouldn't be fair. I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about his favor. I'm talking about his blessings. Amen? How many know God can't bless mess? He doesn't bless mess. God blesses people who are seeking him. God blesses obedience. God blesses people who do what he says. I'm not talking about love. He's going to love you all the way. But he blesses obedience. And so tonight, in your mind, as you go through this next week, I want you to think about that. If you're salt and light, we should leave things alone that this world, even the world, it it amazes me when it comes to social drinking. It does amaze me that the world looks so down on alcohol, yet Christians want to do it because they can, because they've found a way to Make the scriptures work. You know what? I'm the kind of person, I'm going to play the safe side. I've said it before. What if I'm wrong? What if I get up to heaven and Jesus says, you know you could have drank a couple glasses of wine. Do you, am I really going to have missed out? Seriously. Uh, what am I going to have missed out on? A few glasses of wine. Whatever. It's the idea of saying, I, I'm not going to take a chance. If the world looks down on it, I'm leaving it alone. You know, alcohol is one of those things that kills more people than anything every year in the whole world. Anything. Why would I want to partake as a believer in something that kills people? Did you get that? There's just an example. Like I said, I got a whole other message on drinking. And you don't have to agree with me. Like I said, I'm going to play the safe side. Musicians, you can come. Holiness is an attitude tonight. Holiness is saying, God, I'm not trying to get away with what I can get away with. Holiness is saying, God, I I don't want to do anything that would hurt you, that would defame your name, that that would bring shame on my name, that would do anything to break up my testimony. Paul talks about in the Bible about not doing anything that would be a, a, a hindrance to somebody else or a stumbling block. Think about that for a second as you stay focused over here. What if it was okay to drink socially? What if it's okay? What if it's okay to drink a glass of wine, but you go out and you socially drink? And you're okay in God's eyes, and you drink that beer, you drink that wine, you do whatever you do, but whoever you go with has the tendency to be an alcoholic. Because you did it, they do it. You may never end up being an alcoholic, but somebody, your children might be. I've talked to people in our church before uh, where they, they, they've come from backgrounds of alcoholism. There's a hiss up here, Paul. Something's a little high. They're, they come from backgrounds of alcoholism. And it's killed their family. I mean, to, to, the, to death. To the deathbed. And they would play around with drinking alcohol. And I thought, man, if, if I had that in my family, I would get so far away from it. Because I might not have an issue with alcohol. 
But what if my daughters do? What if it skipped a generation and, and if they took a drink, they'd become an alcoholic? It's, it's thinking about those things that I would not want to cause somebody else to stumble. Oh, I can handle a white lie. I can handle greed. I can handle whatever these things we try to handle. But you don't know what your kids are going to do. You know how many, how many, how many teenagers are in jail today, right now, in juvenile jails that were raised by good parents? Somewhere along the line, those parents gave in. Somewhere. And that one area they gave in, maybe it was anger, yelling, violence, I don't know, whatever it was, that one area caused that son or that daughter to rise up in that area. And today they're in jail. We got to understand that the decisions we make affect other people. And that's why God is always calling us to walk away from those things and to be separate and to be holy. Let them call me a holy roller. Let them call me a fanatic. I want to be a fanatic for Jesus. I want to be different. Amen. I don't want to be like the world. If we walk through the streets and we look like the world, something's wrong. We should look different. There should be something about us that's not like everybody else. Not, not in a haughty, prideful way, but that that presence of God sets on us because we're holy and we're walking as He is holy tonight. Father, we thank You for Your Word.